This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us. Turn with me to the book of Obadiah. Obadiah. It's in the Old Testament. You're going to have fun finding it. Go to Psalms. Go to the right. Get to the New Testament. You've gone too far. If you had an electronic version, you're cheating. Obadiah, we're in a series on the minor prophets this summer, and we've come to this particular prophet, Obadiah. I am at this moment debating whether I'm going to read the whole book or the first nine verses. <laughs> I only have two hours for this message, so I'm trying to evaluate. Let's read the whole thing. The vision of Obadiah, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. This is God's Word. Lord, incline our heart to Your Word this morning. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We've heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise man out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Verse 10, because of the violence done to your brother, Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, 
and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Don't gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Don't loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Don't stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Don't hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Verse 19, those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Amen. The Lord wants us to pray for the nations in light of this little book. He wants us specifically to pray for the United States. He's calling us, I believe, as a church to pray for this country where this church is. Obadiah is a unique book, isn't it? It is the minorist of the minor prophets. But remember, minor does not mean unimportant. It's talking about the length. They're called minor prophets because they're shorter than the major prophets. Of the 12 books of the minor prophets, the most minor of all is Obadiah. It's the shortest. In fact, it's the shortest book in the whole Old Testament. It's just one chapter long. 
It has only 21 verses. We just read them all. It's minor too in that we don't know anything about the author. We don't even know if he's an Israelite. There are 12 different people in the Old Testament called Obadiah. None of them are this author. None of them are identified as this prophet. In fact, Obadiah may not have been his name. Obadiah means servant of the Lord. So it may just be a reference to the fact that he is the messenger God chose. And Obadiah just means he's a servant of the Lord to speak a message that's not his own. He's proclaiming the word of God. It's minor in another way too. It's minor in that nobody knows about it. Nobody knows about Obadiah. Nobody knows where it is. Many people wouldn't even be able to say for sure if it was a book in the Bible. And nobody knows what the message is. In fact, I was talking to a fellow pastor on the phone this week, and I mentioned I was preaching a message today on the book of Obadiah. And he said, he asked me if I was going to go through the whole book. I said, oh, you are busted, man. You don't know anything about Obadiah. Thanks for the illustration. I'll use it in my introduction. Yeah, we're going through the whole 21 verses today. I told him I wouldn't mention his name. But Walt is not alone. Many pastors and Christians don't know anything about this book. It's a minor prophet, but it has a major message for our day. This is God's Word. He wants to speak to us this morning through this prophet. In fact, the case can be made that this particular prophet is more relevant to our age than any of the others. Most of the other prophets speak to believers, Old Testament believers and New Testament believers in the church today. They direct their messages at God's people, but Obadiah, you may have picked this up, proclaimed a vision that was not for my people, God's people, the nation of Israel. It's about the day of the Lord being upon all the nations. And it's a message for a nation that wasn't in covenant with God. And so, Obadiah spoke to a culture much like ours. And the message is, you, you're not God's nation, but you are a nation in God's world and the Lord has a word for you, you are accountable to Him. That's the message. Don't let your pride deceive you. You are accountable to God. Nation, God can bring you down. And God is watching how you treat His people. And He cares about it early part of the 19th century, the talk of Europe was discoveries that were being made in the Middle East. Napoleon had conquered Egypt. 
in the late 18th century and one result was people had gone into Egypt and they discovered all these archaeological treasures like the pyramids, the tombs of the pharaohs. Can you imagine? Everybody was talking about it. Did you hear about the pyramids? For the first time. It was clear though as they looked at this that the power of the pharaohs of Egypt that had seemed eternal at one time were now in ruins. Only a shadow remained of this, these incredible, this incredible civilization. Percy Shelley was a poet. He was one of those Europeans whose imagination was captured by this whole picture. And he remembered a Roman era historian who described a statue of Ozymandias. You may have heard of this poem that he wrote. The, the Roman historian reported that there was an inscription on the statue that said, King of kings, Ozymandias, am I? If you want to know how great I am and where I lie, let him outdo me in my work. And Percy Shelley, after all these discoveries, wrote this poem. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains round the decay of that colossal wreck. Boundless and bare, the lone and level sand stretches far away. This, this poem has a powerful effect. It has an important message. And it relates to this message of Obadiah. We should ask, has our pride deceived us? The message of Obadiah is, fear the Lord. He raises up and exalts and he removes. Obadiah isn't preaching his own message. He has a word from God for Edom that applies to every nation today, and it's a prophetic vision that includes truth for all the nations. Three points. One, God rules the nations. Pride deceives the nations. And the day is near when all the nations will be God's kingdom. So first of all, let's notice that God rules the nations. God rules the nations. Obadiah appears to have been written sometime after the fall of Jerusalem in 587 B.C. In the, in the midst of this terrible ordeal where Judah has been conquered by the Babylonians. And God's people are suffering. Their neighbors to the southeast on the Jordan River, the Edomites, 
did nothing to help. In fact, to make matters worse, Edom was named after, was, was really the descendants of Esau, who was the cousin of Jacob, Israel. So they're relatives. Edom is known in the Bible as Esau, even in Obadiah. You'll see it several times throughout this book. So Judah and Edom were cousins, and yet Edom actually helped the Babylonians conquer Judah. They acted like they were Babylonians. Verse 11, on that day you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You were like the Babylonians. And so the Lord gave Obadiah a vision. Verse 1, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We've heard a report from the Lord. And a messenger has been sent among the nations. In the Babylonian Empire. Rise up. Let us rise up against Tor for the battle. There are probably rumblings in Edom already about this. They probably knew. Wait a minute. Now they're coming after me. But Obadiah is not a fear monger. He has a word from the Lord. Disaster is coming. And it's coming from God. And this call throughout the Babylonian Empire is a call to wage war against this nation. God rules the nations. And now Edom will be judged because of the way she treated God's people. Hear the word of the Lord, nations. Edom was important. It was on a major trade route. It was rich. It was a rich nation. Got richer because of Babylon's conquering of Judah and, the, and the, the people of Judah coming through the land and how they treated them and robbed them. It got richer. But it also had strong defenses. It was, it was an incredible country. It is an incredible country area. It had these cliffs that rose 5,000 feet above sea level. And it was, it was very easy to defend. So that it was said that 12 people could hold off a whole army in Edom. Just because of the natural defenses. The strongest city, city you may have heard of, Petra. is in the center of, center of the nation. It was its capital. You may remember in that great theological classic, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the fictional canyon of the crescent moon that was filmed in Edom, in Petra. Remember they had that canyon, very narrow. Remember that if you ever are called to drink the cup of Christ, choose wisely. <laughs> Petra was unknown for centuries, but in the ancient times, it was well-known and greatly admired. So it's understandable why, verse 3, Edom would say, who can bring me down to the ground? We're rich. 
We have these great defenses. They thought too highly of themselves. Yet God says in verse 4, I will bring you down. And in the 5th century B.C., Obadiah was proved true. God brought Edom down. They no longer exist as a nation. But when Obadiah was written, they thought highly of themselves. Verse 2, the Lord says to them, I will make you small. They thought they weren't small. Verse 4, I will bring you down. They thought that wouldn't happen. Verse 8, the Lord asks a rhetorical question. Will I not destroy the wise men out of Edom? They had alliances. They were wise. They had worked to make everything so they'd never be conquered. Will I not destroy the wise men out of Edom? Verse 15, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Verse 17, talks about how Jacob is going to be blessed. Didn't look that way at the time Obadiah was written. They were conquered. They were refugees. But the Lord says Jacob will be blessed. Esau will be punished. And finally, verse 21, Mount Zion in Jerusalem will rule Mount Esau in Edom. God can make any nation small because he rules the nations. Second point is that pride deceives the nations. Pride deceives the nations. So Judah has just fallen to Babylon and Edom had actually prospered as a result. Times were good for them. There was even more trade now passing through their nation. And they were making even more money. And these Jewish refugees, they seemed so small. They seemed so insignificant, easy. They seemed beaten. But the reality was that Edom and even Babylon in God's sight, they're the ones that are small. They're like dust on a scale. The pride of your heart, verse 3, has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? You're deceived. They've, they felt secure. But they weren't secure if Almighty God decided to judge them. There's a message here for the nations. They were certain they were safe. They were certain. They were proud. Their pride deceived them into thinking, no one can bring me down. John Piper writes in his book on providence, God's purposeful, powerful sovereignty over his world. He writes this, the irony is that human autonomy feels like we've gained significance when in fact we've lost sanity. Freedom from God feels exhilarating, but it's the exhilaration of skydiving without a parachute. Apart from the Holy Spirit, all humans fall for this lie. The truth over against this lie is that the glory of man is not to be God. To not be autonomous, self-sufficient. But to know God. 
Hear the word of the Lord, United States. If a nation feels secure, it's that joyous feeling of skydiving without a parachute. That's how pride works. So let's, let's start with the household of God. Repentance begins with us. Are we deceived by our pride? Our pride lies to us, doesn't it? And the first lie is this. You know, you're not proud. <laughs> you, you're humble. That's the first lie. You're not self-focused. You're not selfishly ambitious. You're not self-righteous. You're not self-serving. Pride lies to us. And we defend ourselves. When we begin to defend ourselves, it's a sure sign of pride, isn't it? It's a fruit of pride. And that's why we need each other so terribly. We need one another so that when we're deceived by our pride, we can have a good friend that says, you've lost your sanity. Edom had a foolish confidence in their defenses, their allies, their wealth. They felt strong. They felt self-sufficient. Now Obadiah brought the word of the Lord. Nothing in this world is certain. They really were well thought of. They really did have all these things, but it didn't matter. No power, no defense can stand against God's justice. When he decides to bring the proud down, the boasting nation down, he does. James Montgomery Boyce was a wonderful pastor in Philadelphia for years. He's gone to be with the Lord now. Writing about this book, he says, Historians tell us that the world has seen 21 great civilizations, but each has passed away in time to make room for the next. Once there was Babylon, but it too passed away. So with Greece and Rome. So it'll be with the great powers of our own day. He was writing in 1983. The Soviet Union and the United States. We should be warned by God's judgment on Edom. Do we boast that we are strong? That we have the largest army, the most missiles, the more effective navy? If so, we must watch out. God says that He can bring even our nation down. God treats all the nations the way He treated Edom. That's why it's such a powerful message for nations. God exalts nations and then what happens is pride. They become boastful. Think they're better. They can do without God. You throw God out of the picture. Then God brings the nation down. I was in the former Soviet Union in 1998, Ukraine, just after the fall of the Soviet Union. On every street corner, it seemed, you, you could buy Soviet flags. You could buy Soviet uniforms, military uniforms. I, I bought a hat and brought it home to the kids. You could buy Soviet military equipment. You could have all the Soviet money you wanted. It was worthless. There was no longer a nation. It was being sold as souvenirs. 
It's easy to forget how shocking this was when I read that from Dr. uh, Boyce. He's talking about even the Soviet Union can, can come down. In 1983, I don't even think he believed it. That was hard to believe, those of you who were around then. Wasn't it? The Soviet Union? Never. They were powerful. It was the Cold War. We were, we were scared of them. They are no more. They are like Ozymandias, ancient history. The most impressive powers have always declined. Edom's pride led it to sin against God. God's people were refugees and they attacked them and robbed them. And the Lord was angry with Edom. You do not want, as a nation, you do not want God angry with you. And you better be careful how you treat. Verse 13, the people he would say are my people. You better be careful. Thus says the Lord. But Edom took advantage of the situation. God's people were fleeing from the Babylonians. Verse 14. Don't stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Don't hand over his survivors in the day of distress. But that's exactly what they did. And the Lord was angry. And he is sovereign. And ironically, Judah is experiencing his discipline. Remember, we've learned this in the Minor Prophets. The reason they are refugees, the reason Babylon is conquering Judah is the discipline of the Lord. And he is even using Edom to discipline his people. Nevertheless, He is angry with Edom. They are culpable. The Lord was doing it for a good purpose. They were doing it for a sinful purpose. And God promises that they will be humbled. Verse 10, because of the violence done to your brother, Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. And Edom is no longer a nation. Finally, number three, the day is near when all the nations will be God's kingdom. The day is near when all the nations will be God's kingdom. Verse 15, and I'm I'm just thinking of Gary's prophetic word because I think the Lord wants to really encourage us to hasten the day of the Lord. Verse 15, for the day of the Lord is is near upon all the nations. And that's going to be good for God's people. But for Edom, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. He's going to make things right. There will be justice. A day of judgment is coming A day of judgment is coming for those who harm God's people. Thus says the Lord to the United States. Don't harm God's people. 
Don't persecute God's people. Verse 17 in Mount Zion. In Mount Zion. In Jerusalem. There will be those who escape. And it shall be holy. This is a promise of redemption in Israel. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. They'll return from exile. Verse 18, the house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau, Edom, stubble. They shall burn them and consume them and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken. God is sovereign. The day of the Lord is near. Upon all the nations, all the nations should listen to this. The day of the Lord is is near. And he isn't going to temporarily destroy Edom. Edom's not going to be like Judah that is going to return from exile with the Babylonians, with Ezra and Nehemiah, and the nation and worship and the temple be restored. It's not going to happen that way in Edom. It's wiped out forever. They harmed God's people and God was angry. Actions against God's people are actions against God. The Apostle Paul was persecuting Christians. He was trying to destroy the church. He was arresting believers throwing them in jail. He stood by when the first Christian martyr was killed and supported it. He was on his way to do more damage to the church and he encountered the risen Lord Jesus. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? My people. When you persecute my people, you persecute me. He learned he was harming Jesus himself when he harmed his body, the church. And this should encourage every one of us as believers today. There's a lot of fear about restricting religious freedom in our Country, we should actually be expecting opposition, shouldn't we? Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hold your applause. You can write that one down today. Pull it out every day. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. The world will hate and oppose us just like it hated and opposed Jesus Christ. You live worthy of the gospel, it's going to bring trouble. It's the promise of Scripture. Being different from the world, living by a different worldview, different standards, it's going to aggravate the culture. It's like salt in the wound. It's what you're supposed to be. 
Regardless of the time period, regardless of where you are on the globe, expect to be treated like your master. Jesus said in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. It's actually confirmation. You're doing something right. It's, it's part of Christ-likeness, isn't it? But it's also marked by God's special attention. This is the message of Obadiah to us. I am paying attention. I am watching. I care deeply about my people. And I listen to them. Jesus said in John 9, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners But if anyone is a worshiper of God, if anyone has responded to the gospel, the good news that Kevin preached to us this morning, if anybody has responded and by faith, they've been forgiven of their sins because of Christ, because He died on the cross and God raised Him from the dead for our justification so that we're reconciled to God. If anybody is a worshiper of God and does His will. God listens to him. Wow. God, this powerful, sovereign, holy God listens to him. He listens to us. That's why we're going to pray this week for our nation. Living for Christ brings trouble, but it brings God's presence in your life. It brings communion with God in your life. We're persecuted or thinking about persecution. This truth that God rules the nations should encourage us. Our greatest danger, folks, is doubt and unbelief. Our greatest danger is that we'll compromise. Our greatest danger is worldliness. That we'll give in because we don't want the heat Because we don't want the persecution. That's what should scare us this morning. Obadiah is encouraging us, don't do that. Don't compromise. In this third century, Cyprian was the bishop of Carthage. It was the most important Roman city in North Africa. By that time, the church had developed. It had grown numerically. It was stronger as an institution. But it was a traumatic time. There was an emperor that issued an edict requiring all the inhabitants of the Roman Empire to sacrifice to the gods. Cyprian went into exile, but he was later martyred. Some Christians during this season stayed in Carthage and they burned incense to the emperor. Others refused. They were imprisoned. Some were killed. When it all was over, there was a lot of tension between those who compromised and those who didn't. Don't burn incense to the emperor. Don't do it. Let's be faithful. Let's stay 
faithful to God's word. Let's not compromise. Let's trust he is coming back. He is listening to us. He rules the nations. And our hope is that one day they will all submit to him. We studied 1 Peter for this very reason, to help us in the midst of persecution. In his second letter, he said this, They, the scoffers, will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But do not overlook this one fact, says Peter. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. He's patient towards you. He's patient towards this nation. Not wishing that any should perish. That all should reach repentance. So I want to end today calling us to pray for the nations in the, in the final verses, God is giving us a hope. And we want to pray for this. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. We want to pray for this. We want to pray that the Lord will come again. Mount Zion, Jerusalem will be holy again. And God will dwell with His people. It was partially fulfilled when God's people returned to Judah, to Jerusalem, and rebuilt the temple, but it's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. This is a promise that he's coming, coming again. Speaking of that great theological classic, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, remember at the end of the movie, the first movie when he had found the Ark of the Covenant and the Nazis had a problem with God and he killed them? And then they took the ark and put it in a plain box and hid it in a warehouse among thousands of other boxes. Some of you have never seen this movie. Shame on you. (laughs) Totally kidding. But there's this, it's a powerful moment in movie history when the ark of God that is clearly supernatural power, boxed, is in the United States in a warehouse somewhere, hidden among all this other stuff. But there's the solution. There's the power. It's, it's, a, it's a picture. It's a great illustration. The, the gospel is the power of God, the salvation. It's like our country has taken the gospel and just put it in a warehouse and tried to hide it. What we want to do is preach this gospel faithfully. We want to stand against a nation that increasingly does not want us to do that. And we want to insist, no, that's exactly what we're going to do. We fear God, not your persecution. It's a message of Obadiah. And I want to call us this week to pray. I want to ask you this week, if you would, pray. Maybe, maybe you would like to fast. Maybe fast a meal. Pray for our nation. Next Sunday is the 4th of July. 
It's the 245th, if I'm doing my math right, birthday of the nation that this church is a part of. I know there are other citizens of other nations, and I would encourage you to pray for every nation. Pray for your nation, wherever you're a citizen. But because this church is in this nation, I specifically want us to pray for the United States. So pray, and then next Sunday, we're going to dedicate the pastoral prayer to our nation. And I want to encourage you in light of God's sovereign power, in light of His rule, in, in light of His love for His people because of Christ, He will hear us. And we can hope in the Lord for great transformation in this country. Let's pray. Father, today we once again thank you for your word. It inspires us, Lord, that this little book is so relevant that many of us had no knowledge of until today. And now, Lord, as we, we look at this book and we're encouraged by the hope that it brings us, Lord, we pray. We are motivated to pray for this nation. So much is going on, Lord. We want to rise above it all and turn our eyes to you and pray in the name of Jesus for you to pour out your spirit on this nation. Let your gospel be blessed. Let it be the power of God unto salvation for people across this country. We pray for the leaders, Lord, those in authority. Lord, we pray that we could lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and that we could freely proclaim your gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.